When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another episode of South Beat Sessions. My name is Chris Whittingham. This week on the pod, Dan had a chance to sit down with the legendary Hall of Fame sports writer and broadcaster, Leslie Visser. This woman is a pioneer who has done so much in the sports broadcasting business, and she has a remarkable story. I mean, considering that there were probably not a ton of role models she tells Dan in this interview that she wanted to be a sports writer from age nine, and Dan kind of walks her through some of her notable achievements in the world of sports broadcasting. So we think you'll really enjoy this conversation. Here's Dan sitting down with the Hall of Famer, Leslie Visser. Leslie, on your list of firsts, you were the first to do many things in this industry. You want to go through your list of firsts with us? <laughs> Well, I was the first woman ever to go down the Olympic bobsled. Is that on there? Uh, I don't have that on my list. No, I was thinking more of journalism things <laughs> that didn't involve a bobsled. Well, the bobsled was journalism because it was the Olympics in Albertville, France, when um, Prince Albert was on the team. So, And he would introduce himself. Hi, I'm Al Grimaldi. He went to Amherst, so he really was pretty American. And uh, I got invited by the U.S. team. Remember Herschel Walker was on the team? And the U.S. team invited me to go down the bobsled. No woman had ever been down an Olympic bobsled. And I had to get permission from Jean-Claude Keeley, the president of the Games, because they wanted no responsibility for it. So, um, yes, I went down. CBS put it on. It was uh, Sean McDonough on the call. And afterwards, I, I couldn't believe that a minute could last for an hour because, you know, it's like a tin can and you just bang around there. So, but yes, my first um, were born of a lot of opportunity. Uh, Boston Globe made me the first woman to cover the NFL as a beat. I um, had first woman on many broadcasts of major events, which, you know, as you know, in the end, there's only one network that crowns the champion. So you're either on that broadcast or you're not, but I was on first woman on a World Series in 1990. Uh, first woman on the Final Four in 88 or 89, first and only woman to present the Lombardi Trophy. I mean, there. you know what? It sounds obnoxious, doesn't well, it? Well, <laughs> no. I, the reason I asked you is because you are a pioneer in a number of different ways, but you are an inspiration to many people, and I can't imagine what the challenges of that were, and I can't imagine how strong you have to be in order to make your way into this caveman culture that you've wanted to make your way into since you were you know, not even a teenager, right? You wanted to be a sports writer when you were how old? Uh, 10 years old, we were living in Cincinnati. My family moved a lot when I was a kid. And my mom said to me, you know, you know, what do you think you want to do? And uh, I said, I want to be a sports writer, which of course didn't exist for women. And my mom said, that's great. Sometimes you have to cross when it says don't walk. And it gave me permission. But I don't, you know, other kids, I mean, I was an odd child. I've dressed up Sam Jones on Halloween since I was 
nine years old. So <laughs> other little girls, you know, were Mary Poppins or Cinderella, and there I'd be perfecting my bank shot with my 24 in magic marker. Now I know Sam you know, very well. And I think for about 30 years now, I've worn his actual jersey that he gave me. So that was a big step up. So the Celtics guard Sam Jones was your Halloween costume for how long? Well, now it's uh, 60 years. Oh, wow. So, so every <laughs> year at Halloween. this picture? Right behind you, you yes. See this picture? Yeah, that's Sam. And every year on Halloween, that's Sam and I a couple of years ago, and every year on Halloween he calls me and says, Leslie, please don't dress up. I mean, come on, you're in your 60s, please. I say, nope, I don't care. My idol. And so why sports writer? What was the backstory on why that was the path you chose and knew you wanted to choose before you were 10 years old? I think it's not unlike the reason you maybe got into it because um, the same way other kids want to, they love poetry, they love music. I just loved, I loved sports. I thought it was the great meritocracy. It isn't based on family money. And uh, also it's, it's, it is true reality uh, television and you don't know what will happen. How many times do we say, I can't believe that because it just, it never happens. And to have that opportunity, I, um, I won a Carnegie Foundation grant my uh, sophomore or junior year in college. And people think it's the 1800s, but the grant was open to women across America. There were 20 of them given who wanted to go into jobs that were 95% male, which really all white collar jobs were. And I think a woman from Michigan got it for archeology span and I got it for sports writing, which was wild. So the summer of 1974, I was at the Boston Globe. And, you know, as you know, it's a rock star paper. 74, when I was the intern there was the summer Nixon resigned and of course, the Boston Globe had been a big muscular, it is still liberal paper. And uh, our editor, Tom Winship, had gone to Harvard. His roommate was Ben Bradley. So both newsrooms, everyone's seen all the president's men, they were laid out the same. And there was a big cake on, what was it, August 8th, 74. You know, it just said the end. It was like a 60 foot cake. And then 75, when I went there full time, uh, that was, of course, the Red Sox win the World Series. And, you know, to, have a city where you grew up on number four, Bobby Orr, Ted Williams, Bill Russell was uh, astonishing. And that newsroom, what was it like for you? How alone were you in it? It wasn't so much the guys at the Globe because they were all so secure. I mean, you know, Dan, they were the 27 Yankees. So I would go to the World Series and I'd say, hi, I'm Leslie Visser from the Boston Globe. I work with Peter Gammons. Oh, you know, what do you need? I go to Wimbledon with Bud, uh, you know, people who never talked to anybody. Tyriac, you know, these, these people would say, oh, come on in, you know, great, Bud Collins. So, but definitely the Patriots, the Globe made me the beat writer for the NFL, first NFL beat writer uh, in 76. And, you know, that was a scene from Mars. Uh, I, I didn't want to complain to, there were of course no provisions for equal access and, but I didn't want to complain to the Patriots because I didn't want them to say, oh, you know, see, a woman can't do it. And I didn't want to say anything to the Globe because I thought they might say the same. So I just sort of, it was one of those, you know, kind of laugh in public and have it out by yourself in the hotel room. So, yeah, it was, I have a lot of scar tissue. Were you around when Will McDonough put 
uh, was it Raymond Claiborne uh, playing for the Patriots at the time? Uh, the story goes that he hit him, punched him in the face, and left him in a laundry hamper. <laughs> well, of course, I was not in there because I was in the parking lot because there were no, there was no equal access. But I'll tell you two Will McDonough stories. You probably knew him well. Uh, when the Globe decided that I would be the beat writer, Will McDonough called Billy Sullivan, then, of course, the owner of the Patriots, and he said, you know, in that Southie accent out the side of his mouth, uh, we're going to have a woman, and that's that. Click. <laughs> so that was that. And then we were pretty sure at Will's funeral that Whitey Bulger was there in disguise in the back because Will had gone to see him in Leavenworth and, you know, sort of stayed in touch with him, his brother Billy Bulger was the uh, head of the Massachusetts Senate. So yeah, Will, Will just touched everybody. When Will, remember we all had those Rolodexes with all the numbers? And when Will would go home for the day, about five reporters would dive under his desk to get the Rolodex out. How protective were those guys of you, the Bob Ryans, the Peter Gammons, the Will McDonough? How, how, how much did they help you? They were great. They were uh, immeasurable because um, the players thought I was from Mars. Chuck Fairbanks, the coach, the very first time I asked him a question, he said, you know, why don't you go to lunch with my daughter? You're about the same age. So it was it was a true frontier. I remember once a playoff game, uh, Dale Murphy, who was you know a Christian and, and very faithful, and he made me the bad guy. Uh, Dale Murphy said, if she comes in the clubhouse, I won't talk to anyone. And um, God bless Peter Gammons and uh, Dave Anderson. They stayed outside with me. So, um, yeah, you had to depend on the kindness of people you knew. So it, uh, but you know what, for me, my passion outweighed the hurdles. I mean, I couldn't believe that I was getting paid to go to the Final Four or Wimbledon. I had an attitude of gratitude rather than anger. And you didn't get disillusioned along the path? I know you say scar tissue, and I know you said you had your moments alone. So obviously there's going to be some disillusionment, but never enough to outweigh the gratitude. Oh, not even close. I, I really, I brushed my teeth to the Foxborough exit for the Patriots practice. Actually, they were in Rhode Island, Bryant College. And uh, all the way down in my AMC Pacer, which was probably the worst car <laughs> ever made, I, I got off at the exit and I said, this is just crazy that I am going to be able to cover the New England Patriots as a beat. And, you know, yes, I got disillusioned. They had no ladies' rooms because, of course, there were no women in the press box. And uh, the Patriots would have the ball like first and 10 on their own 20. And I would go down the press box elevator across the field, you know, sprinting like Usain Bolt to go to the bathroom to come back before they punted. And uh, they were not the gold standard Patriots back then. Well, what do you regard as the worst of the environments? I don't imagine it could get a lot worse than that, than the 1976 Patriots, but maybe it can. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, I'll tell you my embarrassing moment where, um, you know, I was pretty rough with the Patriots. Uh, I, I did a lot of work, and I developed sources, and a couple of the players, I don't know, do you remember Sugar Bear Hamilton? Um coach player for a long time and Tony McGee. The 76 Patriots actually lost to Madden's Raiders uh, in the divisional game on a, a kind of a sketchy call, uh, roughing the passer on Stabler. But um, it was, uh, you know, I, I worked really hard. I, I didn't, I felt like I was representing all women. And one day at practice, I asked Chuck Fairbanks about his left tackle. He had uh, 
it was uh, McKay and Neville, Tom Neville. And I asked him which one did he think was going to start. They were going down to play Miami and both were kind of injured. And Chuck Fairbanks said to me, neither one can play the position. So I drove, just imagine Dan, a thousand miles an hour back to the globe. I mean, what a scoop. The coach says nobody can protect Steve Grogan against the vaunted Miami Dolphins. So, you know, next day all over the front page of sports, well, uh, of course, my phone started ringing like crazy at like 5.30 in the morning. And uh, hello, and it was Chuck Fairbanks. Are you out of your effing, put every swear in there? He said, I said, either one can play the position. Ouch. Oh, so, yes. Oh, I'm so sorry, Leslie. <laughs> oh, and so you're sitting there thinking, I'm, I. oh, God, you're representing all women and you just you just heard it wrong. Heard it wrong. And Will McDonough, I called Will like crying right away. Will said, you just get your ass down to the Patriots as soon as you can, which, you know, for that, um, I, I really I'm, I'm so glad even that I had to do all the interviews in the parking lot. I had to do all the reporting myself. It wasn't one of those where you could just stick the mic into the pack in the locker room. You know, I had to ask the questions I had to keep keep all the notes for myself because you didn't get help from the pack. So in that way, I think maybe that's my attitude of gratitude. I think it made me a better reporter. When you say that you knew you were representing all women, was that a burden, an honor, both? Uh, I'd say I don't know which responsibility falls into either of those. I felt great um, pressure by it. And, uh, you know, I wanted to represent my name, Visser, the Boston Globe and women. And, uh, you know, I had been in college when I watched Billie Jean beat Bobby Riggs, which I thought was the seminal moment of the women's movement. It was so important about gender equity, financial equity, societal equity that I felt, gosh, Billie Jean, who, you know, was such an idol and now a very good friend of mine, but that meant so much. And, and you know, the 60s, I was coming off growing up in the 60s. I went to high school in the Berkshires. I don't know if you know that area of Massachusetts, but it's a lot of colleges. Uh, where I went to high school is where Mount Holyoke is, but Amherst is there, Smith, UMass. So there were always peace marches or civil rights marches, equal rights. So I felt that I wasn't afraid of the challenge. I was afraid of disappointing people. And so when you're in the parking lot being treated like, differently than everyone else when you're sprinting to use the public restroom there's not anger in there there's not a resentment about the unfairness of it while it's happening no we had no human resources there were there were no there was no blog area there you know as you know there wasn't google there was nothing except your pad and your brain and the opportunity and i could not believe that i was getting to do i was 23 years old and i was standing up you know, at a, I think now the Boston Globe staff, when I was there, I think that we're in like 12 halls of fame. <laughs> so, you know, everybody was the best at his position and I felt enormous pressure. And, you know, you probably know this or have heard it, you know, the original PTI was Peter Gammons and Bob Ryan arguing, you know, who sweats more, Moses Malone or Wes Unseld, you know, anything, anything and everything. So it was an extremely knowledgeable, uh, you didn't take the floor at the Globe unless you had something either funny to say or original or here's a fact. You know, like like if it were today, I would say, well, you know, uh, J. Cole's in quarantine in Rwanda. So that, you know, that might be something I could jump in with. But other than that, it was just listen and learn. 
What is it like for you when you speak at classes to have young women come up to you and tell you what an inspiration you've been to them? Yeah, it's very rewarding. And I used to shake it off. I mean, even with the Patriots, wherever we went on the road, there would be a camera crew, right? Because here's the woman covering the NFL. I've accepted it, I would say, for about, you know, maybe 15 years, 15 or 20 years now. And, and I'm appreciative and I don't, I'll tell you one of the differences. There are a few differences from when I started. One of them is remember a couple of years ago when Cam Newton was surprised that a woman asked that question about a route. And, uh, you know, back in my day, 100% of people would have agreed with Cam Newton that, you know, how, how can you possibly think that you know the NFL? And um, now it's, uh, yes, men are not born genetically with the ability to recognize a safety blitz. <laughs> they love it like we love it. So that that's, was a great change. And I, I love that, you know, when I started, the credentials said no women or children in the press box. And now I'm on a show on CBS that is all women. It's the uh, first and only all women sports network talk show. And we talk ball. I mean, it's Swing Cash and Lisa Leslie and uh, Dana Jacobson hosts often and Amy Trask and myself. And we're produced by a woman, co-produced Suzanne Smith and Emily Deutsch. And our two producers are women, uh, Julie Carrick and Amy Samuelson. So to go that distance in 40, 40 years, 40, a little more than 40 years is enormously gratifying. On the list of accolades or awards you treasure most, is there anything that you put above first woman to receive the Sports Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award? No. Uh, well, there are two. Uh, that one, uh, because they don't give it every year, the Sports Emmy. And the list of people who won it, Dan, you'd, you would sit in a room with them or a dinner or a press box and just be just so enormously grateful. The, I think Jim McKay was the first winner, and Kirk Gowdy, who I grew up listening, he called Red Sox games on WHDH. I had my little transistor under the covers. And it's uh, uh, Dick Enberg and Vern Lundquist and John Madden and Jack Whitaker. I mean, kind of all the people that we have really very much appreciated. So yeah, I, I, was, I was really grateful for that. Uh, being the first woman in the Pro Football Hall of Fame was um, astonishing. Uh, I got a letter from John Madden that said, the Hall of Fame, you can't be born into it. You can't buy your way into it. You have to earn it. That's pretty cool. What do you regard as the most moving moment from the Hall of Fame experience? Oh, for me, it was, it was a great class. It was um, John Madden, the late great Reggie White, uh, Troy Aikman, Harry Carson, so you know, it was just really a, a wonderful class. And uh, Troy Aikman, in his speech, you're not going to believe this. I couldn't believe this. In uh, Troy's speech, he said, "Congratulations to all the other honorees, and to Leslie Visser, who brought class and dignity to the world of journalism. It makes me proud to be in her company today." And you know, I'm I almost passed out, and uh, I looked up, and Troy winked. <laughs> Well, you know your grace is uncommon, do you not? You know that you have an uncommon grace. I think, uh, remember the great um, Ron Rappaport, the writer? He put that in a book once. Uh, yeah, I mean, my dad grew up in Amsterdam under the Nazi occupation. He was not Jewish, but he went to the same Montessori school as Anne Frank. You know, the Dutch, they were all helping each other. So I used to think, you know, um, whatever this is, it can't be as bad as 
growing up under the Nazis. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, where did you learn that grace? Was it from within there? Yeah, my dad wasn't really around all that much. His job, he worked for the Stanford Research Institute. And um, the opposite of the singer side door, my dad said to me, um, don't even think about Stanford. You'd never get into Stanford. <laughs> but um I, my mom came from like a lower lower class Irish family that had a lot of dignity, but you know not much money. And I think it was more the way she raised me that um, you know, we were moving all the time, and she she was a teacher, and we had lots of books around. And also, you know, you know Boston pretty well. Boston cares about three things: we care about sports, we care about politics, and we care about words. You know, like words are our theater. So. I feel like it was, you know, luck of the draw that I spent my earliest years in Boston. So you did 35 Final Fours, 12 NBA Finals, 7 World Series, 15 Kentucky Derbies, 10 Belmonts, 7 Preaknesses, 3 Summer Olympics, 3 Winter Olympics, 28 Super Bowls, 29 U.S. Opens, 15 Wimbledons. What's the best of them? Oh, God. Um well, um, when people ask me why I do what I do, I say Villanova 66, Georgetown 64, because I thought that was all sports could be. You know, they beat Secretary at Georgetown defending a national champion. It took a, practically a perfect game, which Roley told the team, you're going to have to play damn near a perfect game. As you know, they missed one shot in the second half. And, I, you know, I love that. And uh, I covered Jim Valvano, you know, where, of course, Derek Wittenberg still says it was a pass. And, you know, lots of those um, Wimbledons and uh, the NFL. So, I, you know, I really don't know. I would say the one that's not sports, but you'll understand why, is CBS sent me as part of the crew that covered the fall of the Berlin Wall. And especially my dad, having grown up in those circumstances, I remember we went through Checkpoint Charlie. We had an interview with Katerina Vitt, right, who was the beautiful face of socialism and didn't want to address steroids or anything else. And But I remember that as soon as you went through Checkpoint Charlie on the other side, it was like a different world. It was the hotel had sandpaper really for the tissue and the bathroom paper. I mean, I, I don't know what your parents growing up in Cuba you know, if, if it was that stark a difference from the Dominican Republic, but that's how you felt. And for me to witness my my little slice of the pie was how would sports change uh, once they became reunited? And, um, you know, I saw people who walked 
from Potsdam and Dresden for days just to get through the Brandenburg Gate to taste freedom. So that was really, I would say, the most profound moment. And have you ever done stories when it was behind the Iron Curtain? You probably have. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't have that experience. That's not something that I have done. Well, I got to do one other one like that that was almost equally as profound. Uh, you remember when Martina defected, which was in uh, 75, to the United States. She came from Prague. And if you defect from a Soviet country, you become a non-person. They never mention you again. So Martina had won five straight Wimbledons. Not a word was written about her in the Czech papers. And then she went back to Prague, to Czechoslovakia, under the protection and the umbrella of the Federation Cup, you know, which you know is the Women's Davis Cup. And uh, I got to cover that story. And I'll just, I'll never forget. We had to take flights from uh, Frankfurt, Malieve Airlines, a Hungarian, a communist airline, all kinds of papers, you know, to be able to do it. And um, when Martina got there, they didn't have a jetway and it was raining. I'm pretty sure it was raining and everyone, we all had to come down the stairs and it had spread by word of mouth that the great Martina was coming home and there were thousands of people behind a chain link fence. Tell me more about your mother. Oh, thanks for asking. She was great. Her, her attitude in life is uh, come, don't come. I'm going anyway. Um, she, she took me to Stratford in England to uh, hear Shakespeare when I was 10 years old because she said his comedies were for the masses. He wrote for the masses. So, you know, Much Ado About Nothing and Twelfth Night. And um, she loved sports. She would actually watch, you know, Big East triple headers before she died. <laughs> so she was just a very interesting woman. Thank you. Most people ask people about their fathers. Um, but, yeah, she was the huge influence. Is that part of where your strength came from? Yes, yes. Uh, they had a tough marriage. No one in her family, Catholic, had ever divorced. My dad was a wild European, but we kept moving. You know, she kept trying to keep it together. And then, um, you know, and we, you never talked about it outside uh, the family. I'm, I'm really lucky. I was lucky to be raised in the 60s. I mean, now we're seeing that sort of second revolution of... Um, protest and hopefully policy that comes out of the protest. But uh, yeah, I felt like I was raised to be very diverse, to know, and I always counsel this when I teach classes, I say, read, 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 read anything, you know, read about life in Japan, read about architecture, because if you just read blogs or Twitter, I mean, how are you going to have a vocabulary? How are you going to have perspective? The Me Too movement that has made an appearance over the last three years from your perspective, because you've really, you you chose a path, Leslie, that was very difficult and uh, very unforgiving. I'm curious what you've made of the last few years of this movement, and I don't want to even call it a moment, uh, this movement. Yeah, I've, I've um, been appreciative of it because, look, it was just the culture, but, um, and the women you know, who came right after me, I'm sure had the same experience and many to this day that, you know, you got hit on every day. But um, what I tried to do with it was um, I tried the humor approach or at least a softer. I wasn't a storm the barricades. I was more, you know, see if we can ease around this because it was new to players too. And uh, whenever, you know, they would do it, I'd say, now your, your mother didn't teach you to talk like that. 
and you know, it would be kind of, <laughs> yeah, actually, I wouldn't want to embarrass my mother. But um, yeah, it was a navigation, you know, it, um, I managed to get through it. But uh, uh, I, I'm appreciative that women now feel comfortable that they can speak, and that uh, policy can change. Do you regard yourself as strong? Yes. Yes, I've, um, I think I've sort of met the crucible. The things I would really care about, I didn't lose my sense of humor and I never got bitter. I just am so appreciative, you know, to be on the field when Brady came back against the Rams and when uh, Bob Kraft said today, of course it was after 9-11, and uh, Bob Kraft said today we are all patriots. I got to go to ground zero with both the Jets and the Giants, along with Judy Batista, the great New York Times writer. And she and I were the only people, media, allowed with the Jets and the Giants down on ground zero when they were handing out sandwiches and comforting people. So, I mean, you must think this too. I always say that sports, it's the great passport. You don't feel, though, a humiliation when Dale Murphy does something like that? I know you're a top-notch journalist, and journalists don't want to make themselves the story, and then all of a sudden an athlete is taking you and dragging you into the story, and that experience is what for you, as it happens even with the support of your colleagues? Yeah, it was terrible, because you know what, Dan, in life— uh, I don't know if you've had this experience, but in life, you can take all the classes, you can be a good reporter in our business, you can be a good reporter, you can develop sources, you can count on people, but nobody teaches you how to be humiliated. It's not a skill. You don't know, no one teaches you hum humiliation. You just go through it. And each time, you know, it's a, a little bit of a fresh cut because you're just not prepared for it. And uh, yeah, I, th I think that's, I mean, can you feel that in your career? Well, we come from privilege, though, Leslie. I'm not as strong as you. I haven't had to be. I haven't been tested the way that you've been tested. I have not chosen a path that makes me a pioneer on a on a path filled with challenges. Uh, my, my father was not supportive of this as a career choice because he didn't think that, that it, there was a future in it. And what he looked at was that's the greatest of my challenges. That's not really, it doesn't even compare to what it is that you've been through. Well, I will tell you about what you're going through. Uh, a week and a half ago, Dan Shaughnessy were, and I were on the phone and we had our computer screens on. And so we were talking about the really important matter of the day, which is that Lee Monfield has a book on the Celtics coming out in a couple months. And Dan has a book on the Celtics coming out in the fall. And we were talking about whether Lee's sales, which you know will be enormous, it'll be a great book, were going to impact Dan's sales in the fall. And then all of a sudden, uh, which we did not know about each other, we were looking at our screen. And for both of us, we just stopped talking because it came across that you and your married band of misfits were throwing in with DraftKings. And it was for our business. Oh, this is the greatest. So... <laughs> See that, but that's a little bit different, right? Like we've we've had great fortune, and I'm not. It has not been lost on me. I don't mean that literally, but it has not been lost on me that uh, my entire experience, even Hispanic as a Hispanic, has been filled with great privilege. I admire the degree of difficulty in the path you chose when nobody was choosing that path. And I'm fascinated by the roots of it. It's one thing to love it, but it's another thing to have the support in your household that encourages it because it's a difficult thing to encourage. 
Yeah, and at Boston College, I was, of course, the first woman to write sports for our paper, where I actually survived the sports editor, whose name was Mike Lupica. Oh, so, no. Oh, no. <laughs> he wasn't like that. And he Mike would like take all the great stories. <laughs> <laughs> he would take all the great stories. Of course, he would go, you know, if the football team played at Texas A&M, that's the trip. You know, I got to go to the Rutgers game, maybe. But um, I'll tell you, Mike, he was brave, though. He was brave. Like, I mean, here we're in college, and he was telling Yaz to retire. Well, he was a prodigy. He was a prodigy back then, right? He could just, uh, he he had a way with words uh, from a very, you know, he still hand writes his books, or at least he did as of 10 years ago, writes them on legal pads. Writes his books. See, isn't that amazing? He's had so many and so many different genres and he's so successful. But uh, yeah, I I remember um, I went up to the Heights to the paper and got to write for them. And the way I got to the Globe was that Carnegie Foundation grant, which entitled me to work anywhere in the country. And I remember the uh, athletic director from Boston College drove me to the globe, you know, like, okay, don't be nervous. And it was like Vince Doria, right? (laughs) So Vince was monumental in my career, just monumental. And, uh, you know, Vince, I always say this about Vince, you worked with him for him for a million years. Vince, he was the sports editor at the Globe before he became the head of news at ESPN for some of your viewers who don't remember him. And uh, Vince would make you feel great even when you didn't get the assignment. Like I remember he called me in his office and he said, well, you know, you're not going to go, you know, to the uh, the games in Lake Placid, you know, the AKA Miracle on Ice. You're not going to go to that. You're going to stay in Boston and cover indoor box lacrosse. And I left saying, this is the greatest, those losers up in Lake Placid. <laughs> what do you regard as the greatest challenge that you've overcome, Leslie? I would say the shift from print to TV, which, you know, you think there are a lot of people who made that switch, but they're not on the broadcasts like of the title games, you know, just kind of almost everybody who was in print, but they're not there uh, doing the final four interview with the coach after they've just won. And, um, It seemed there are only few people really who've, you know, really been there, like Tom Verducci, Tim Kirchin. Well, of course, uh, Bud Collins was the first. But um, I had to learn, I mean, weird things that you know now, but, uh, you know, when you first are on television, and I had no time in the middle. I didn't, or even at the bottom, I didn't go. I went from the Boston Globe, always voted the best sports section, to CBS Network, And that was really when ESPN was just gathering steam. You know, back then it was really the three networks. And so I had no stop in Des Moines, you know, or Albuquerque to really kind of make my way. Like all of a sudden I was on the uh, Celtics Lakers 84 final. I mean, come on. I was like paralyzed. So, you know, it was crazy. And I didn't know things like, of course, the producer would talk in your ear and I would stop talking, right? You're raised that if someone speaks, you stop talking. And then it would be like um, World War III in my ear. What are you doing? So (laughs) I, I did a lot of learning on the fly. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. You mentioned that your mom late in life was watching Big East triple headers. I'm a little bit surprised that it doesn't sound after all of these years like your enthusiasm has dampened. Usually when people work in a job or around a thing for a long time and their experiences or some of their experiences aren't good, they see too much of the beast to still have the same enthusiasm for it. It doesn't seem like your spirit for this stuff has waned very much. No, no, it really hasn't. And um, I'm, I'm taking a little side path here. Like I'm outraged that the Houston Astros front office lodged a complaint against the Yankee fans yelling at them. The only time in my life I'm a born, bred and bled Red Sox fan that I would side with Yankee fans. But I mean, yeah, so I still get thrilled. I still get outraged. But um, I think it's, uh, you know, it's I'm at a place now at CBS where I can pitch stories uh, that I really want to do. And and I've been able to do them. I mean, I am witness to and so grateful for like the history of protest of athletes protesting in this country, which not just Jackie Robinson, but probably Paul Robeson. But then, you know, that you, you pull that thread through right from Jackie Robinson to Jim Brown, Bill Russell, Kareem, uh, then on to Billie Jean, uh, Arthur Ashe, uh, coming through to Kaepernick. And I pitched a story to do uh, for the Super Bowl. We had the Super Bowl this year on Doug Williams, because of course, Doug played in Tampa when it really was the South. He said, you went any further South and it was the Gulf. And, you know, he would get watermelons in the mail. I mean, just really a horrific time. And then, of course, he became the first African-American to win the Super Bowl. So I get to have some, you know, history and perspective that I'm appreciative of. I, I, I love the role I have now. But you don't view yourself as Doug Williams because people did things akin to that to you. Well, I remember the Super Bowl in Miami where it was Lovey Smith and Tony Dungy and I was the uh, MC for the night before. And Tony Dungy, when he spoke, he turned to Lovey Smith and me and said, well, here we are, three pioneers. It's nice that that would be something that would be bestowed on you, that you would endure and find yourself in a place where you can receive some of that because it's been long overdue. I don't know if there was a point where you finally felt that you had arrived in terms of credibility and respect. Was there? Yeah, I think by the time I was doing all those Final Fours and Super Bowls, and uh, and, we, and you know what's interesting? Have you found this, Dan, that um, coming from print is the greatest credential I have? It, it is, um, you know, nobody could accuse me of being a Vanna White on TV or whatever the perception of some of the women who covered sports on television. I mean, I had been in the trenches. I'd been a beat writer where you show up every day. Matter of fact, one of my other beats at the Boston Globe 
was Boston University. I was 22. And Rick Pitino was the 23-year-old coach of BU. And we used to count the people in the stands. I mean, nobody went to these games, the old Walter Brown Arena. And uh, he got to try all those presses and all the different kinds of defenses. And I got to try leads. So um, I, I feel like I, I earned, I, I was an honorable pioneer. Are you aware of when you stopped being underestimated? I would say, um, let's see, when I did the final four, both for the Globe and for CBS, 1988, which was, um, this was my lead for the Globe. Isn't that obnoxious when we talk about our leads? But uh, Kansas beat Oklahoma, and I said, um, Danny Manning did what Will Chamberlain could never do, put a Kansas team on his back and win the NCAA title. And I remember I also did it for CBS. So the whole night was a zoo. But, you know, there were people who took me out afterwards toasting, you know, this this is great. And I think to be able to even on the broadcast have that kind of perspective. Uh, yeah, I would say 88 is when I felt pretty comfortable. I just wasn't comfortable with the technology of TV, but I was comfortable with the matter. Is there a team that still makes you curse at your television? Well, I think when uh, it was Boone off Wakefield, um, you know, I, I screamed, cried like I lost my dog. When Johnny Damon went to the Yankees, he and I, well, I've done Joe Torrey's great charity, Safe at Home, for probably 20 years now. And on the red carpet, Johnny Damon was in front of me, and he had just signed with the Yankees. And I said, you know, I'm not speaking to you. And he said, well, you know, I did help bring you a World Series. So, well, there's that. <laughs> and it's still there for you What, as it regards the Red Sox? The Red Sox are the team most likely to, to have your heart? Yeah, also, I, I intensely dislike Notre Dame. You know, Boston College, they treat us like we're gum on their shoe. You know, when, when they do the rivalries, like Miami, who's Miami's greatest rival? Uh, Florida State, I guess, or Florida over the years, I guess would be, uh, yes, they, they do treat Notre Dame though. There's an arrogance about Notre Dame. That's terribly off-putting. Well, especially for Boston college, like they list, you know, Miami, Florida, Florida state. That's a, you know, that's a really good rivalry. Uh, but Boston college, Notre Dame, when they did their, you know, for, for all their alumni, who's, who's the greatest rival? And, of course, it was SC and Michigan. And then Boston College, like, didn't even make the top 20. And that's what we live for. So, yeah, I, I don't. Matter of fact, one time, do you remember Mike White, who was the athletic director long time at uh, Notre Dame? One time he called me and he said, this is before I went to Duke, so 20 years ago maybe. And he said to me, Leslie, I want you to come speak at our spring banquet. We honor all 26 teams or whatever they had. And I said, Kevin, I would rather stick pins in my eyes than be seen at a Notre Dame event. And he said, $25,000. And I said, a proud tradition of athletic excellence. And I was on the next plane. <laughs> what is it that you look at now in sports and say, this still needs changing for women? Well, all the NCAA, um, which was so um, inexcusable, you know, the women not having the same um, facilities, the same protocols as the men did in the final four, you know, the NCAA isn't supposed to represent just the richest teams. Uh, I would like to see soccer treated not just like an event, right? Everybody in America watched the World Cup, watched the Olympics, but then you go, I went myself, Hope Solo was with a team in Boca Raton and after the World Cup, they I think they were the runners up that year. I went up to the uh, to see the game and there were like 
500 people in the stands. So I don't know if it's the Yogi Berra, you know, you can't make them go there, or if um, people aren't appreciative of just what great athletes these women are. Leslie, thank you for your work, obviously, and thank you for spending this time with us because it really has been a monumental and magnificent career that uh, you should be very proud of. And I'm sure that you are. I don't know what represents your source of greatest professional pride. You have many things to choose from. So on the way out, what would you identify as your source of greatest professional pride? I'd say making my mom proud. That's a good answer. Thank you for being on with us. She encouraged it. She had the foresight. I'm telling you, it is not it is not easy to tell a 10-year-old girl, yeah, feel free to go ahead and wear the Halloween costume. <laughs> I, what are you doing wearing a Halloween costume at that age? That's, that's the behavior of a crazy person to be wearing Sam Jones's uh, to be that uh, to be that astute about what you wanted at a 9 or 10 years of age. Thank you. I think my mom did knock back a couple of vodkas, but <laughs> we got through it. Thank you, Dan. It was really a privilege. Thank you, Leslie. Good talking to you. Good catching up with you.